Welcome to Ambitious Motherhood, the podcast for the mom who is chasing after her dreams in motherhood and business. This is your permission slip to pursue all that you were created to be and live out your calling, both in and out of your home. Here's your host, Katie Fleming. Welcome back to the Ambitious Motherhood podcast. Today, I am so excited to share with you Kate Northrup. Her and I are going to chat about doing less and making more in your life and in your business. I am so excited because I read Kate's book last year and it was just so great to hear another woman's perspective on how we can actually step back from the doing and actually do less in our business and still be in a place of prosperity and a place where we can make more. And so in this episode, you're going to hear about cycle syncing. We're going to hear about the just history of why we feel like we have have to strive as women and how we can begin to step back and do less. Also, you're going to hear a funny story, and I'll just start to tell you it now, about how when I asked Kate to be on the podcast with me, it was actually my ovulation day. And I know that kind of sounds weird if you're not into cycle syncing or understand truly what that is, but on your ovulation day, you can be the most magnetic in your energy. And it was just so cool to realize after the fact, after she said yes to this podcast interview, I went back and looked at my cycle and saw that it was in fact the ovulation day. So anyway, you need to get Kate's book if you have not already read Do Less by Kate Northrup. Definitely check that out. We're gonna link it up for the show notes for you. But let's get to the episode because Kate has so much goodness to share. Hey, Kate, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I am so excited to have this conversation. And I was just telling you a little bit off air that when you and I originally talked on Instagram, it was my ovulation day. And people listening Mm -hmm. are like, okay, why are we talking about that? (laughs) But we're gonna get into you guys how our cycle as women can be so powerful in business and in our life. And Kate's going to get to that in this episode. And there's so many other things she's going to talk to us about as ambitious women and how we can do less and achieve more. So Kate, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, will you start off by sharing with us your story? What has led up to motherhood and business at this point in your life and, and um, kind of the, the story that do less came from? Absolutely. So... I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, And after, and I just just sort of assumed that because I always knew I wanted to be a mom that I would feel like I naturally knew what I was doing. And that, I don't know that I would have said I expected it to be easy, but I think I expected it to feel more natural. And so like, like more just like, oh yeah, I've been doing this my whole life. <laughs> and yeah. um, so I got pregnant with my first daughter and I was bone tired in a way that I had never experienced before the whole pregnancy. There was no second trimester, like energetic, you know. Oh, that's a bummer. Like, yeah, no, it was just... I was so tired. And so as a result, I dialed way back on what I was doing, certainly socially and traveling, but but also work-wise, I just, I had no energy. And, um, and that was very hard as somebody who had prided myself on being highly productive and capable my whole life. And then when I had Penelope, um, 
the birth was very difficult. I had a planned home birth, which ended up as um, a transfer to the hospital in the ambulance and um, a urgent C-section and then a hospital stay for a week. Um, and it was really traumatic emotionally. And like, I just, here I was at this moment that I thought, you know, I knew I had wanted my whole life and I thought I would feel so capable at, and I just felt so incapable and it was so intense. And then our daughter had really severe eczema for her. She still does, but it was so bad her first year of life. And she you know, sometimes would wake up every 10 minutes screaming at night from scratching herself and making herself bleed. And, you know, her, it was just awful. Like her crib sheets were always covered in blood. I mean, it was just like, it was, it was like, some of it was like scenes out of a horror movie. Like it was just like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. And my husband and I run our own company. We didn't have, um, you know, there's no paid parental leave in the United States, certainly. And then within our company, we're really small. I mean, we're a seven-figure company, but there's only like yeah. four people we work with. So we we had to create our own parental leave situation. And we didn't have like a backup plan financially other than our business. And that first year of parenthood, I had you know, zero bandwidth to even really care about our business and also only 10 hours of childcare a week. So, but we just kept running our business to the best of our ability, given everything that we had going on. And a year in, we sat down with our accountant and we realized we had made the same amount of money that year as we had any previous year. And we were working less than half the amount we had ever worked. It's crazy. And so even though I wouldn't want to repeat that year for anything, it was also like, wait a second, if we could do this because we were forced to because of circumstances that totally sucked, what if moving forward, you know, as our daughter got healthier and as we got our footing with as parents, it was like, what if we could do this on purpose? And knowing that we're not particularly special, there's, you know, nothing about us that's different than other people really. I thought, well, if I could, if we could do this, then other people could too how if i if i go back in time and look at what were the things that changed how did we in fact achieve more by doing way less or achieve the same amount by doing half the amount of work um and so those ideas and that study and then adding in research and case studies became my book do less yeah i love that and i would argue that you know even in your season where you were doing less in your business and achieving the same, I think you achieved more in other areas. For sure. And with (laughs) with Mike and everything. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was this whole added huge element that had become our lives, which was was parenting and, and parenting a sick baby, which is like a whole other thing. Yeah. So you were, you were forced pretty much to slow down, which, you know, really if our backs are against a wall, we'll do it. But for the most part, we don't slow down for anything as ambitious women. So have you thought about how different your motherhood would look had you not had this traumatic birth, had you not had, you know, the sick child? Have you thought about that at all? It's such a good question. A little bit. And I will say, (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad. I'm not really glad I had that experience, but I am so glad I had that experience because my compassion for mothers is so profound. Yeah. (laughs) Like I just, I see a woman with a baby and 
while, of course, my heart swells and I'm like, oh my gosh, what a sweet little baby. I just am like, oh my God, like she is in it, (laughs) you know? And I feel like our culture does a lot of pink washing of motherhood. And I remember this one particular post that I saw, which is a, a... a woman I know saying, you know, about her nine month old, just like every day has been more amazing than the last. And this is the greatest time of my life. And da da da. And I was like, either she's lying or she and I are living on different planets. <laughs> it's just like, it is so much harder than I ever could have imagined. And I'm, and I'm so grateful that I had a gritty experience because. I will be honest, a lot of things in life had come easily to me. Academically speaking, um, you know, in athletics, like I just, my parents got divorced and I certainly had my traumas growing up for sure. But this was my first major like bring me to my knees moment. And I don't think I would have been a particularly helpful teacher or guide um, if I hadn't had that happen. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm grateful mostly. You know, I think it's, it's, it's like motherhood is incredibly hard, but like, it's this weird thing where even in the hard, there's like this contrast immediately. Like, you know, life is like yes. that. Right. But it's like with my kids, I can be fighting with you two seconds before we're sitting down on the couch cuddling and like life is perfect. I know. And, it's amazing. You know, it's like we can't separate the good from the bad. It just is. And it's beautiful, but it's very frustrating. <laughs> yes. I've never experienced anything in my life where I can feel two really different things at the same time, like yeah. I do with motherhood. Like it is just like love, like that's almost going to kill me because it's so big. And like, I also want to leave forever. <laughs> <laughs> And and I mean yeah. it's not it's not we're we're my baby's now eighteen months old and my older one is now four. So I will say those people who kept saying like it'll get easier. It took a while, but I I will say like it's easier now. It gets different. Yeah, it's, 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 it's six year old attitude. I don't know. Like for me, I'm just not as much like I love babies, but I really love the interacting and the talking and the playing and like as yeah. my girls' personalities come more on board, like it's it's more fun for me. Yeah, for sure. And then they talk back to you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm arguing with a little version of myself. This oh my is gosh, fun. <laughs> it's so intense. The personal growth is on steroids. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So when did we as a woman culture really shift from what I kind of call, and I don't know if you call it this too, but like this village mentality where we're all in a village, taking care of each other, helping out. When did we switch from that to, I got this, I'm going alone. I'm going to carry the entire burden of motherhood. Well, historically speaking, we shifted as a culture from an agrarian society to an industrialized society during the Industrial Revolution. So our whole, you know, people started moving into cities and the modern day work, work day was yeah. created. And, and now during that time, though, women were still at home with, with the kids. And, and, and so there was still a little bit more of the, that, you know, village situation because um, we weren't also trying to make money at the same time. What happened though is with the, you know, first wave of feminism for sure, and then for sure the second and third waves of feminism, um, now women are 
there's far more equality in the workplace and women are out making money and working in jobs, which is wonderful. However, um, there's been a major lag on the home front in terms of um, equality there. So while women have been given more and more opportunity and responsibility on the work front, we've had no revolution on the home front. And so largely women are still holding the bag at home and then also expecting themselves to be incredible earners and really great um, workers and then also really great moms and perfect housewives. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and and we have to, something, something's got to give. And I love being sort of part of a wave of, of um, writers right now talking about this very actively. There's several books that came out in, in this past year and certainly the past couple of years dealing with this subject matter and it's so needed. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to be part of that. But um, that's sort of when it shifted, I think it's just been like in the last hundred years as uh, women's roles have shifted and, and we're at a, at a moment where we have an opportunity to shift again. Yeah. Yeah. So for that mom that is still holding both burdens, the working and the home front, how does she begin to shift out of that or at least shift out of some of that guilt? Yeah. Well, First of all, I think we really need to, it, it, I will say, it's really helpful to look back on who are your role models for being a woman and being a mother and identify what were the beliefs about being a good woman, being a good mother, being a good wife, what was passed along to you and what are you carrying out because it's unconscious and ingrained and what are you carrying out because it's truly what you believe? Hmm. That's the place to start because a lot of women are carrying around a lot of guilt for not being a certain way when if they really looked at it, they might realize they don't actually want to be that certain way in the first place. Like for example, I've had a whole dance around meals in my house. Like (laughs) I don't love to cook if I have to. I just like, I'm not one of those people who gets excited about it. I don't like to go to the grocery store. I'm not excited by meal planning. <laughs> the whole thing doesn't do it for me. And I've had some guilt, like because I was raised in in this culture that sort of celebrates the June Cleaver, even still in 2019, there's this celebration of, of, of the woman who can nurture and feed her family and look gorgeous while doing it, you know, and ideally it's super healthy, right? Mm-hmm. It's just... If I really look at what's important to me, health is definitely important to me. So feeding my family healthy food is super important to me. But like, does it have to be made by me? No, that doesn't have to be part of my identity. That's just a cultural belief that I've inherited that I have chosen to set down. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And I think that's what, you know, because I am a young mom. I've got a six-year-old and a Mm three-year-old and I'm under 30. Mm -hmm. So I think what's allowed me to embrace my ambitions early on and unapologetically pursue that, but also still be present and doing what I love on the home front was that role model. So like, I'm going to really dive into this after this episode and think back (laughs) to the beliefs I picked up. But, you know, I saw my mom doing both and doing it well. And she wasn't, she didn't care what anybody else thought, you know, it was, it was Mm. just what mattered for her family in the moment in this season. Great. So it's kind of cool to be in that place where, you know, as a millennial, like, my mom's still young. She's 50. So like we just, I feel like we grew up in a different time, her and I together, where it's like we were kind of ahead, ahead of the culture, if you know what I mean. I think you're absolutely right. Because so I'm I'm 36 
And so I'm just like, I'm, I don't know if you ever saw that comedy special called Elder Millennial. <laughs> but I'm an elder millennial. That is hilarious. It's hilarious. You have to watch it. It's the woman, I can't remember her name, the comedian, but she was also, she's a 1983 baby, as was oh I. Gosh. So I was like, I love this so much. We're like the elder millennials who like still remember rotary phones. <laughs> But my mother also had me when she was 35. So she actually is in a totally different generation than your mother, which is fascinating from just kind of like the cultural ideals that I was handed down versus what you have down. And of course, that's going to be different across families because my mom was a total, you know, work like hardcore working mom, which was a little more unusual for that time. Like she was, she was a doctor. She was um, at times the primary breadwinner. So yeah, very different kind of, but at the same time, like I think that there was still that pull, that struggle for her of home life, outer life. And, and so I've recreated for myself a, a balance and a dance between the two that feels really right for me and for my family you know, also in a little bit of a reaction to what I grew up with, which was a mom who really wasn't around much. So interesting. That's I've got to so watch that thing, right? That elder thing. Oh my God, it's you're going to die. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I've always felt that way with her because it's interesting. Like she will have friend groups. She doesn't have, okay. <laughs> Before I like out my mom, she's like my number one listener. So, you know. <laughs> totally. I have always had friends that were your age. Like they were always older. Uh-huh. Even when I was 18. They <laughs> the were, elder millennials. Yes. Like we just... <laughs> I don't know if it's like consciousness or what, but we just mesh much better than yes. the 18 year olds of my age. She was also the same way where the friends that they had, they were older and there weren't many of them. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I just think it was, and it was mostly because, you know, she was a 20 year old with a baby. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I was 10, all of her, all the people that were peers were, you know, like Probably six, seven, eight, nine years yeah. older. Totally. So there was, and we deal with the same thing where it's like, if I'm going to mesh with somebody, you're probably at least 33, probably 36. You're not my age because you don't have kids. You know what mm, I mean? Right. That's kind of what I'm totally. noticing. Yes, absolutely. Everything shifts when you have kids and then like the way you relate yeah, is really yeah. different. So it's it's been cool to experience life kind of a little ahead of my age group. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then comparing like having people like you in my life, these elder millennials <laughs> there. <laughs> It's made for an interesting evolution. I think that's my point. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And interestingly enough, like my best friends have mostly always been older. Now, a lot of them are the same age and a few younger, but always like in my 20s, my my closest friends were always in their 30s and 40s. And it wasn't even because they had kids and I had kids because I didn't have kids until um, my daughter was born when I was 33. But there was something about, I think, like I just always appreciated the wisdom of life experience that these people had in a different way than my peers. Not that I, you know, haven't always had friends my age, but it's different. Yeah, it's different for sure. Hey, so I wanted to take a second, pop into this interview and just interrupt for just a moment, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I know you are loving this conversation today. I want you to screenshot your show right now, post it on your Instagram stories, tag myself and our guest, and share with us whatever ahas you are getting from this episode. We cannot wait to hear what it is you're taking away and also have the chance to reshare you on our social platforms as well. Okay, I'll see you on the gram. Back to the episode. Here's a question. Once we start to adopt some do-lessness life, how do we keep the creep of the do more from Mm. coming back in? You have to be vigilant. 
the creep will always be there. So I think I, I was sort of operating under this false belief that like if I just set boundaries once and sort of said no once, then like my schedule would be, would remain clear. But I wrote a blog several years ago called Taming the Creep, which is basically about, you know, it's really this tendency for you're always going to have opportunities knocking at your door. You're always going to have people asking you for things in your inbox. You're always going to have people wanting stuff from you. And so I like having filtering questions and sort of policies inside my own head. And we actually have some Google Docs for them in our company as well, because I'm a total yes person. So I will always want to say yes to somebody as my knee-jerk reaction. Other people are no people and they might actually need to say yes to more things just to expand their horizons. But I do not need to expand my horizons. <laughs> so, um, so I have to hold back and know, okay, an opportunity is now in front of me and I have had to create a few barriers to entry as policy. So I know, for example, you know, we have just a list of things that I just don't do in, in our company. And that's been really helpful. So when requests come in, my team already knows that the answer is already no. They don't have to ask me about that. And that only, I've only learned that from experience. So at the, I have some, a tool called the Daily Energy Tracker and it's in my new Do Less Planner, which I'm really excited about. We published a planner this year and that really asks you at the end of the day, like what went well, what didn't go well. And the only way I've been able to create some policies and guidelines for myself is from doing things that I wish I hadn't done. Yeah. And then I assess and then I create a new policy. You know, something happened last last month actually that I was like, oh, never again. And so now we have a new policy. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I recommend whether you're an entrepreneur or not, write up some policies about you and your time. And then before you say yes to something, go back and read your policies. Um, it's easier to say no because it's a policy than it is to say no just because you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I have some kind of, I don't know who gave me this idea, but some kind of just canned response in Gmail. That's a gracious, no thanks, not now kind of a thing. I love that. I think that's great. Um, I got a really beautiful no from a woman who, it just really inspired me. And and I've crafted my no's based on it ever since because the no left me feeling so loved. Like it was really amazing. It was, I'm not able to do that right now. Or thank you so much for inviting me. I'm not able to do that right now because I'm focused on X, Y, Z. So it was like, all my energy and time is being put into this thing. Um, I know your project is going to be amazing. I wish you the best of luck for it with it. I'll let you know if it, if anything changes. Yeah. And it was just so kind, loving, clear. And I loved knowing what she was working on that was her priority because it helped. I don't know, like it sort of created buy-in in me of like, oh yeah, of course you can't do this. That thing you're working on is really important. And it felt really good all around. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Can you give me an example of a don't do kind of thing in your business? Is yes. been something you found as an energy drain? Oh, goodness, so many things. I don't meet people for coffee to pick my brain, for sure. Because that sounds uh, fun. Uh, yeah, you'd be amazed by how many people ask that question. I'm sure they ask it of you too. And I'm like, so you're asking for free advice when that's what I do for work? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. but I do have a suite of programs you can join because that is literally my business. <laughs> and the whole picking your brain. Like and that also just like, word. I'll buy the coffee. I'm like, no, no, I can buy myself a $4.50 latte. 
That's why you want my advice. Sorry, that sounded like really, but like really, like you're not doing me a favor by buying me coffee. Yeah. I can afford the coffee. Okay. So that's one thing I don't do. Uh, a lot of my, I, I, it, 99.9% of the time I don't do summits. That's just something I get asked to do a lot um, where I just don't do them like online summit. I'm whittling significantly down on the number of podcasts I do. I was of course happy to say yes to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot though, there, especially when you got a book. It, yeah, it ends up being like, oh, wow, I'm literally doing interviews all day and I have no time to do my work. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really a cost-benefit um, analysis of that. I don't, you know, simple things for years I haven't done. I don't do bookkeeping. I don't do my own graphic design. I don't, you know, I don't program my blog. I don't do like tech stuff in our company. So those things I haven't done for years because I'm not good at them and they're not a good use of my time. But in the book, I talk about identifying your 80-20 and I give an exercise how to do that precisely so that you know exactly the 20% of your activities that get you 80% of the results. And for me, they are creating content and connecting with people. Yeah. And so I basically don't do anything that's not creating content or connecting with people. Perfect. I love it. Within the connecting with people category, I have to get re I get really whittled down about what is a worth like what is I don't want to say what's worth my time because all humans are worth my time. I mean, I believe everybody is incredibly worthy and yeah. amazing, and I you know I we can't meet with everyone who wants to or do every single thing that somebody wants to do, even if it is in the category of connecting with somebody. Well, I think that's wisdom because, I mean, you can't just scatter your seeds, your knowledge and, and on just any kind of a soil or, you know, concrete or you can't control where that seed lands. So you've got to make sure that what you are planting is in fertile ground. I love that analogy. Yeah. I use a lot of gardening and planting metaphors in my work. So I always love that. I know. They're so good. There's so many. They are. They really, it just really gets to the heart of it. Yeah. Like the seasons of life. Yeah. So good. So many things. We could have a whole episode on garden analogies. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me. Gardening, yeah. like you need the sun and the moon to uh -huh. plant things. So <laughs> go with this. <laughs> cycle alignment. Talk to the women that are listening that are like, what do you mean by cycle alignment? What does it matter when my ovulation day? How can I tune my productivity to my female menstrual yeah. cycle? What does that look so this is really cool. I really only got excited about it after my period came back after I had my first daughter. And you know, that moment when your period comes back after you've had a baby, for me, both times it's happened is really powerful because it represents a return to myself, like that my body is no longer solely a receptacle for this other human, but yeah. now it is partially mine again. And that has felt really major for me both times. And so I got so excited about learning about the cycle when it came back. I'd never been particularly interested in this in my life. And I learned that women have these four phases of our cycles that we go through every 28 days-ish, you know, depending on how long your cycle is. Men go through these four phases every day hormonally. Women go through them over like a 28-day schedule. Really fascinating. So our whole world is set up for a 24-hour schedule, but women are experiencing these hormonal fluctuations on a whole different calendar, but we're expected to be the same every day. And yeah. if there's any variation, we are told we are crazy or it's Flawed. just our hormones. And so that's 
put us tremendously at a disadvantage. And it's also had us wishing our bodies were different. And the truth is our bodies are actually a superpower because if you tap into what's going on with you hormonally or even just energetically, because I have women tracking their cycles who have had hysterectomies or who are, you know, so like you don't actually have to be, have a period in order for this to work. We are all cyclical beings in one way or another, and you just have to sort of start to pay attention. The four phases of our menstrual cycle are the exact same energetically as the four seasons. So it's, it becomes easy to understand because you, each month you go through a winter, spring, summer, and fall. And if you can organize your time accordingly, then you can get a lot more done in a lot less time because when you do the thing that's ideally um, organized for, sorry, when you do the thing that's ideally poised, for the phase you're in, you get it done much more effectively, much more quickly. So it's about um, energy efficiency. Yeah. So for example, during your menstrual phase, that's the winter time of your cycle. It's the time when most of us are the most foggy mentally and we have the lowest amount of energy, but it's actually our most intuitive time. So it's a really good time for reflection and for making decisions and for using your intuition and for research all really wonderful things to do. Now, I have small children and I run a company. I can't organize my entire day based on where I am in my cycle. So I'm talking like 5%. (laughs) 5 to 10% would be amazing. Then the next phase is your follicular phase. It it begins the day after your period ends. So it's the first non-bleeding day and it is five days, more or less. It's the springtime of your cycle. You'll feel sort of like you've just come out of a fog and you are coming out of winter, literally. Uh, your mental clarity really improves dramatically. Um, you tend to have a lot of energy and particularly a lot of energy for starting things. So it's a great time to brainstorm, to plan, to initiate, to map out a project and to get things going. Then the next phase is your ovulation phase, which is the same energetically as summertime. It's sort of this full bloom energy. And you are literally the most fertile during this time, but you are also energetically the most fertile during this time. So when you reached out you know, for the podcast request during ovulation. And I said, yes, I do. Now, listen, we weren't in the same room. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, we're, we're both, I'm like, you know, like there's not like the pheromone thing going on from that perspective, but I do believe energetically we are our most fertile at this time and the most receptive to, re, you know, to receive what we are after. And so during my ovulation time, I also will notice who do I feel like reaching out to? And I'll trust it. So it's yeah. a it's a great time for that. It's also a great time for um, being at live events, for teaching a webinar, for batching podcasts or batching videos or you know pitching like stuff like that. And then like outward things. And then um, your luteal phase is like your personal autumn. It is ten to fourteen days before your period starts. It's when you begin to turn within again. It's the time when your brain is the most detail-oriented and focused, actually. It's a really great time for finishing what you've started and detail, like uh, crossing T's, dotting I's. So, you know, if you need to fix some tech stuff or deal with paperwork or bookkeeping or invoicing or editing, like all that stuff is really great during your luteal phase. And this phase is longer because we are divinely designed for the fact that it takes longer to finish things than it does to start them. 
And so mm. we have, we are organized that way, which is so cool. So cool. Yeah. I had a friend text me a couple of days ago or a week ago or something. She was like, oh, I just got the house done, this done. My books mm-hmm. are all up to date. Like this whole, li- are you in your luteal phase? She said, why? <laughs> I said, just, just look, tell me. She said, yeah, I actually yeah. am. I'm like, yeah, that's why you did all that stuff. It's yeah. such an interesting phase. Love it. it is. It is. And so I have a client that I work with who created what she calls a luteal list. So during the rest of the month, she has all the things that are little detail-oriented, ticky-tacky things that she doesn't feel like doing most of the time. And then during her luteal time, she just knocks it out. Yeah. I actually do the same. It just sits in my Asana task list. Yeah. And my Asana list actually is clear around the end of my luteal phase. It just inevitably happens that way. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Or like I emptying lo- an inbox is like a great thing to do at that time. Like you just feel like it's the same energy as like a fall cleanup when you rake all the leaves and, you know, get them all bagged and like put your uh, patio furniture away. Like it's that same energy. You are preparing for a personal winter of lower energy and, and far more inward where it's not a productive time outwardly, but it's a very productive time inwardly. Yeah. Yeah, this I'm so glad you put words to this in this book because this is something I've been noticing over the last couple of years. I think really as I just came back to who I am and really just trusted and felt into God and what he was calling me to do, that I started to notice these these things. And I really never put the time, I put them down in like a list. Hey, one day I want to kind of research this, but I love that you have this book because it helps me just so much. But you know, a question I want to ask is as you're transitioning through these phases, do you notice in your own personal cycle any kind of mental dips where like as you're transitioning from follicular, maybe the heavy brainstorming into that luteal after the ovulation, do you feel like there's ever any pull in that transition time? Does that make sense? I mean, like in terms of, do I notice a transition in, yeah. Can you clarify the question actually? Going from doing to less doing Oh, so I then see. more type of doing, do you find your, you, maybe your brain is still in one phase and then can't quite bring yourself into that new phase? I don't actually. I notice it. And this is probably because I've been tracking this for three years. Um, yeah. I notice immediately when I shift phases because my brain feels so different. Mm. So I know I'm in a new phase because of how my yeah. brain feels and how my body feels. Like my whole, it's like I've put on a new pair of glasses <laughs> and I'm experiencing the world in a very different way. And what's so revolutionary about this approach is I'm not judging the way I'm feeling. I'm like, oh, now I have these glasses on. Cool. How am I going to operate now? That's As opposed so to like, these glasses are wrong. What's wrong with me? That's such wasted time and energy yeah. beating ourselves up and trying to be different than who we are. Yeah. Well, I want to talk right before we kind of start to wrap this up. I want to hear about the cycle for a man. Like how have you seen Mike start to adjust his day? What does his day look like? How does he um, aligning his day to match his cycle that he's going through? Well, he's always done that sort of naturally. Mike is an incredibly early riser. So he tends to get up between 4 and 5 a.m. Just He just wakes up. And a, a man's testosterone will peak between like, 4 to 6 a.m. and 2 p.m. So that is their most productive time of the day. That's their spring, kind of spring, summer. And so it's a best time for exercise, for your most productive tasks, uh, if, for having sex, actually. So those are, those that's the peak time. Now, of course, if a man tested his testosterone, 
I'm sure it would vary from man to man, but that's like the mm-hmm. general amount. And then the afternoon is a lower energy. So Mike will often um, take a break during the afternoon and go for a walk or go for coffee with a friend or go mountain biking or something and just like get outside and just like take a break during that lull. And then evenings, we really wrap up work by 4.30 or so because the girls come home and then, you know, we were doing dinner and stuff. And then we are super early to bed people because the winter time of your day is really you know, is really the nighttime. And so you want to take advantage of that. The earlier you get to sleep, the more productive your sleep is. So you can really feel the benefits. So we tend to go to bed by 9, 9.30. And so that's sort of how he does that. I mean, I don't know that he really shifted his schedule at all based on learning this information from me, but what he has shifted is just his awareness of how he feels. And that's been really powerful for him because he's been able to adjust to even know like, you know what? I don't need to push through at my desk until 4.30. I really can just go take a break and do something that's going to make me feel better. And that's made him happier, which is a good enough result, but it's also made him more productive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think anytime we can stop and say like, what is the world telling me I I need to do? And then what actually do I really truly Mm -hmm. me need to do? Mm I think that's really healthy when we can step back and just look at life through those that lens instead of what we've been taught or trained and told to do. Totally. Yes. Well, is there any last bits of wisdom that you want to share with the ambitious moms that are listening in today? Yeah. I want to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time that your worth is not determined by how much you get done. And you are inherently worthy right now, no matter what you do today, tomorrow or the next day. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode and this conversation that you just so started so beautifully through your book. And I just, we barely scratched the surface, you guys. You need to go get the book and actually like read it because I'm serious. We barely scratched the surface. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Katie. It's been so good. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. I am so excited that you got to hang out with us here today in your earbuds. And I want to help you get further connected into the Six Figure Ambitious Mom community. So head on over to katiefleming.co slash tribe for your own invite into the Six Figure Ambitious Motherhood community. I'll see you there.